This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. I've known Christ since I was a teenager. And I'm 66 years old and I've been in ministry for 40 some odd years. And my relationship with God is not where I want it. I want it to be richer. I want to know him better. I want to be used by him more. So we never, this side of heaven, we never reach the fullness. You know, we just want to know him better and better and more and more and more. And once you get to know him, you understand why. You know, it's just phenomenal what God has in store for us, you know. Um, It's difficult getting close to God without getting close to God's family. Does that make sense? It's like you said, well, Pastor Ron, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better, but I don't want to know anything about your wife and your kids. I, I, I don't want to be around them at all. You think that might hinder their relationship with me? It's just like, well, you're not going to get to know me because I'm around them all the time. And it's the same kind of thing if, well, if, well I love God, but I just hate people. <laughs> I've actually heard a pastor say that. And he wasn't joking because, well, lots of times people are referred to as a sheep. And we discover that sheep bite and sheep kick. <laughs> you know, and some people just don't care for that. But you really can't get closer and develop this awesome, rich relationship with God if you're not also developing a rich relationship with God's people because he says the two great commandments is what? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, Uh, let's read uh, Psalms chapter 16, verse 11. It says, you will show me the way of life. Papa God... You will show me the way of life. And if, if you're here on this planet, there's a, a physical life, but there's a spiritual life. And there's eternal, everlasting life, and eternal life starts now. When you ask Jesus into your life, it begins right now. And you can access many of those blessings right now. That's just the truth of it. And he says, you will show me the way of life. Remember what it says in John 10, 10? The scripture says the devil comes to do three things. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You're right. And then Jesus says, but I have come to give you life. And and, uh, in the King James, it says abundant life. In other translations, it says life in its fullness. You know? And so God, what he's telling us here in Psalms, You will show me the way of life. You're going to show me the way of life, of abundant life, of life in all of its fullness. That's what God wants to do. And there's some people, they're not there yet. They've not reached life in all of its fullness. They're struggling with life right now, and they don't think it's too too good because they've not accessed this, what God says he's going to show us. He says here in Psalm 1611, you will show me, you Papa God, you will show me the way of life. 
granting me the joy of your presence. And I'm going to tell you, if, 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 if the big bad guys comes after you and God is standing there beside you, the big bad guys is going to run <laughs> when you have the presence of Almighty God. And he says the joy, granting me the joy, and specifically he didn't say happiness. We understand that because happiness depends on what happens. If it's raining, if it happens to rain, there's a lot of people unhappy. If it happens to be beautiful sunshine, people are happy. Their happiness rises and falls on what happens. But joy is not based on that. Joy is based on what we see in God's word, that your names are written in the book of life, that you've been pardoned, you've, you've been forgiven. And having his presence, woohoo! he says, granting you, you will show me the way of path, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you. When? Forever. And forever starts right now when we ask him into our life. I'm talking about, you know, true fulfillment, true satisfaction. That's what God has in store for us. Now, let me read this to you once again in the Message Bible. And it says, now you've got my feet on the life path. You've got my feet on the life path. Now, don't that sound a whole lot better than on the death path? Yes. You've got my feet, almighty God. Now you've got my feet on the life path, all radiant from the shining of your face, the, the, the path. The, 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 the life path is radiant by the shining of your face because I've got the joy of your presence with me as well. And then he goes on to say, ever since you took my hand, I'm on the right way. Ever since you took my hand. Have you ever, you know, and God will not snatch your hand. Say, give me your hand. No, no, we, we extend our hand and he grasps our hand, you know. And hopefully you've experienced giving your hand. And it's kind of connected to your heart, if I'm not mistaken there, you know. And he says, ever since you took my hand, I'm on the right way. <laughs> but, but now, I want you to listen to this. You know, a life without God is a life without purpose, genuinely. It says it here in Exodus, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, it says everything. Now, what percentage is everything? 100%. Everything is meaningless. Everything is without meaning. Everything is without purpose. Everything is without value. Everything is useless. Everything is good for nothing. Now, I didn't make that up. That's what that word meaningless means. Everything is meaningless. It's, it's empty. It's, it's hollow. It's pointless. Everything. Futile. You know, it's, it's insignificant, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Wow. Which utterly just means absolutely. It means totally meaningless. Completely meaningless. 
You know, I, I don't know if, if you can identify with this word, utterly meaningless. Can you identify? This is in Ecclesiastes. Everything is meaningless as a teacher, utterly meaningless. Verse 3 says, what do you mean? Well, what do you people get? I'm sorry. What do you, what do people get for all their hard work? Question mark. Well, for all their hard work, they, they get food, they get shelter, they get a, a closet full of uh, pictures of dead presidents. You know what that's talking about? Cash for all the hard work. Now, can you imagine just going and opening your closet? Maybe you keep yours in your mattress. There's a few people even put them in the banks, you know. But you go there and you go, oh, wow, this is what life is all about. Look at there. There's Benjamin Franklin uh, and all them other, George Washington, all them other guys in pictures of dead presidents. And the more we get, the happier we are, and we just stick them in our closet somewhere. And Oh, man, I'm, I'm really living it up because I got all them pictures of dead presidents in my closet. It's just paper. It's kind of meaningless. It's kind of empty. It genuinely is. He, he says here, verse 3, what do people give for all their hard work? Think about that. Verse 4 says, generations come and go, but nothing really changes. So much is utterly meaningless. Stuff that was meaningless a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, is, is utterly meaningless today. And he says, generations come and go, but nothing really changes. Verse 5 says, the sun rises and it sets and it hurries around to rise again. Now, I like sunrise. There's a beautiful sunrise this morning. I like those, but, you know, I know it's going to be there tomorrow. I know it's going to set this evening. Even if the clouds block it, I know it's rising and I know it's setting. And it's just going to do it every day. I, I, I've learned that. In 66 years, I've, I've learned this is just what the sun does. Verse 5, the sun rises and it sets and it hurries around again. Verse 6 says, the wind blows. <laughs> it was blowing this morning, wasn't it? Ooh, man, the wind blows south and north, here and there, twisting back and forth, and getting where? Nowhere. It's just kind of going in circles, you know? And the rivers run into the sea. But the sea is never full. Have you ever discovered that? All the rivers on the planet that is running into the the seas, the oceans, and it's like, it never overflows, really. There's not really any more water there. Listen to what he says. The rivers run to the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows again to the sea. Did you know that? I mean, somebody grabs buckets full of the sea, and they hike up the mountain, and they dump it back into rivers, Right? Yeah. 
It's called evaporation. That salt water evaporates, and what's in them clouds up there is fresh water, and the wind just moves them all over the planet, and then it rains, and then the rivers are full again, and some of springs are, you know, rising up, and tremendous amounts of water are coming down, and it runs to the river, and and all that wonderful sea and ocean out there, the sun's there, it just evaporates more water up into the clouds, into the atmosphere, and then it rains. It's just this vicious cycle. It just happens over and over and over and over. So he says the river runs into the sea, but the sea is never full. And then the water returns again to the rivers, and it flows again to the sea. Verse 8 says everything, and that's talking about 100%, is so weary. I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever been weary or not. Yes. Uh, everything under the sun he's talking about here. Everything is so weary and tiresome. I don't know. Have you ever been tired? Yes. And it's just like thinking the sun's going to rise and it's going to set. The river's going to flow. To the, and then it's going to flow again. And it's going to flow again. And he says here, Everything is so weary, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much you see, it just don't satisfy you. You want to see something else. You want to see something different. You want to see something new. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. But a relationship with God, a rich relationship with God, it satisfies and it brings great contentment to the depths of our soul. It genuinely does. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11, it says, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Let me back up here just a second and read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14. Again, it says, everything under the sun is meaningless, like chasing the wind. <laughs> and in your Bible, it says, and feeding upon. Say, I might be in the Amplified Bible. And feeding. Can you imagine? It's like, hey, you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And we can all go chase the wind and feed on it together. <laughs> You're exactly right. You would starve not only physically, but spiritually and mentally and emotionally because it's, it's so empty, it's so meaningless. And picking up here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I said to myself, any of you guys ever talk to yourself? Yeah? Some of you are not saying anything, but you do too. You know that. But you do it in private. You know, a lot of people just do it in public, you know. And uh <laughs> now cell phones and little things that you put in your ears and all like that and, and you're talking to yourself well, are you talk oh no I'm on the phone you know you kind of get away with it that way I suppose but he says I said to myself come now let's give pleasure a try okay we, we tried chasing the wind it don't really satisfy and I said to myself come now let's let's give pleasure a try let's look for the the good things in life yeah, and we look for the good things in life. And a lot of the good things in life end up in a tag sale. You know that, right? It's just like they ain't as good as we thought it was. And I said to myself, come now, let's give pleasure a try. Let's, let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. It was empty. 
It was worthless, hollow, pointless, futile. It was just absolutely insignificant. Verse 11 says, but as I looked at everything, 100% as I looked at everything, I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. And in a selfish, self-serving life, we'll be that way. Selfish, Christ is not in our life. We don't have a rich relationship with him. And it's just, it's empty. It's hollow. Seems no purpose. Pointless. Futile. As he's talking about. Well, let me give you uh, uh, just a, a, a very short list of some famous last words in history. The uh, entrepreneur P.T. Barnum, you, you ever heard of him? Yeah. What did he do? Circus. And he was a great businessman as well. But he died in 1891 and, and Barnum's last words were, how were the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? The last thing he said before he breathed his last breath, he wanted to know how much money came in today. Whatever amount it was, did it really benefit him? Not at all. Think about it. There was a fellow by the name of John Barrymore, Barrymore, actor. He died in May the 29th, 1942. His last words were, die? I should say not, dear fellow. No Barrymore would allow such a conventional thing happen to him. That's the last words he said before he died. He's like, I'm too good to die, you know. Humphrey Bogart, an actor, died in January the 14th, 1957. And his last words were, I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. It's the last words he ever spoke. And he died. Sir Winston Churchill, famous for his commencement address of never give up. And I like the, the address, never give up, never give up, you know. But he died January the 24th, 1965. I was 10 years old when he died. His last words were, I'm bored with it all. Although he did his commencements, I'll never give up, I'll never give up. Sounds like he gave up. He said, I'm just bored with it all. And then he died. The revolutionary communist, Karl Marx, he died in 1883. His last words were, go on, get out. That was the last thing he ever said. And then he died. Jesus of Nazareth, he died on a cross 2,000 years ago. His last words were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he turned to the thief, and he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. He had a purpose. He came with a purpose to seek and save the lost. And we all, because we've all sinned, we all need a Savior. Every 100% of the people on this planet need a Savior to go to heaven, need a Savior to wash all of our sins away. Mark chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Look, the virgin, we know her name was Mary. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she'll give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. And what does that mean? 
God is with us. Are you aware? Now, not just like, well, we're in church, so yeah, yeah, God's with us, I think, you know. But are you aware that God's with you seven days out of the week, 24 hours a day? Are, are, are you really consciously aware? It's like, I'm not alone. Might feel like it, seem like it, but I'm not alone. That's the truth, isn't it? God's with us. That, 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 that's what the scripture tells us here, you know. And that's developing a rich relationship with God when we can genuinely become aware that he's with us. Because you develop a better relationship when you're with people and communicating with people, you know. Lots of times we communicate through text. God's texting you all the time. Do you know that, right? And you love text, right? <clears throat> and so... We just need to accept all the text that he sends us. Um, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Then Jesus said, Come to me. And Jesus wasn't just speaking to a couple of disciples. He was speaking to you and me. And that statement still is ringing out for the man, the woman, the boy, girl who hears that. When Jesus says, come to me, all of you, that's what Jesus said. He said, come. You want to develop a rich relationship with God, and Jesus is inviting you, come to me. He will not force you to come to him. He says here, Jesus says, come to me, all, 100% of you who are weary, 100% who are weary and and carry heavy burdens, and, and our sins are burdens. And even sins that we may have committed many, many years ago, if you haven't come to Christ yet, they just weigh us down, and we wish we would have done things differently, and it just burdens us, and it's so heavy. And we think, well, if, if I could just get rid of that burden, I'd, I'd feel so much better. And, and Jesus here, in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, then Jesus said, come to me. All of you, all of you, come to me. Men, women, boys and girls, come to me. All of you who are weary and, and carry heavy burdens and, and I'll give you rest. I'll take the, the weight off of you. But this whole thing of coming to Jesus, it, it requires that we trust him. And if we trust him, then we will Come to him. Now, here's a, a passage, and probably all of you have read it at some point in time. And it's in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, and it says, Trust. He's saying, Come to me. And we must trust to obey God in any area of our life. But he says, Trust in the Lord with all. That's 100%. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And there is a tendency, we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm smart enough to figure life out. I'm smart enough to make all my own decisions, and I don't have to uh, inquire from God about any of this kinds of stuff. I, I can do it on my own, you know. And I'm going to lean on my own understanding. I mean, you know, I've got good education. Is your education good enough to get you to heaven? And even for good education, 
even with a lot of science in your education, even with a lot of politics in your education, just ain't good enough to help you make all the best right decisions. We see politicians all the time making some pretty poor ones, don't we? <laughs> we won't even talk about that, okay? But it says here, trust in the Lord with all trust in the Lord with all your heart. If you want to develop a rich relationship with God, you've got to trust him and you've got to come to him. And he says, Come to me. You're weary, you're heavy, just come on. You know? Nobody's too far gone. You can come to Jesus. And then he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your own understanding. Verse 6 says, in all, in all. What percentage is all again? I forget. Hold on. In all your ways. That means in everything that you do. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct your path. How do we acknowledge God? I jotted down a couple of things just to stir your your creativity in thinking about this. How, how do we do what he says? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Praising him for the beautiful sunrise this morning. Praise you, almighty God. The wind was blowing this morning, and you know mosquitoes don't like wind. Ain't that true, dear? Last week on the mountain, the mosquitoes ate us alive. I weighed less when I came down the mountain than when I went up. But I got this old mosquito thing I carry with me this week. We didn't need it. The wind just blew them all away. You know? Anyhow, so I praise him that the mosquitoes that bother us. This is acknowledging him, worshiping him, a little bit more intimate, a little bit more heart responding to heart, praying, talking with God. That's acknowledging him and, and thanking him. All these things acknowledges him. But it all takes faith. It takes trust. To acknowledge him in all of your ways. In the grocery store, at a service station, at a neighbor's house, wherever you're at, the Bible says to trust him. And this is how we do it. Follow our heart. We're not just leaning on how smart we are, our own understanding. But in all of our ways, we're acknowledging that we're not alone. Thank you. Thank you, Papa God, that you're always with me. And you grant me the wisdom and help me make right decisions. It says, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Now, let me read this, Matthew 11, to you again. Uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 3, again, starting in verse 5 out of the Message Bible. And it says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. And that is a lots of people's tendency. I can figure this out, especially men. We like to figure a problem out. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice. In what? In what percentage is everything? Listen for God's voice in everything you do. So what are you going to do today? Whatever it is you're going to do today... Be listening because God just might be speaking to you in the most unlikely place. He might be speaking to some of you in a church. Imagine that. And when you stop to get gas in your car, when you have lunch or when you make a visit or whatever it is you do, he's telling us here, 
You know, listen for God's voice in everything you do. And then what's the next word? And everywhere, 100% of where you go. So everything you do and everywhere you go, be listening for the voice of God. Hey, there's some of those clouds. You see them on the sidewalls there? They look delicious, don't they? You want that for lunch? Boy, meaningless, empty, hollow, <laughs> low calorie though, you know. Anyhow, he goes on to say here, listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. God's going to keep you and me on track. And the Amplified Bible here says, removing obstacles that block your way. Removing the financial obstacles. Removing the relational obstacles. Removing the health obstacles. Removing whatever can become an obstacle. He removes it and he will direct our path no matter what's going on. He loves us and he's got a plan for our lives. He genuinely does and we may not understand it. We, we, We don't always understand it. But we can trust him with all of our heart. And then the latter part there, it says in the message, Bible says, don't assume that you know it all and don't pretend that you know it all. But I like this verse that says, run to God. Run to God. Run to God. And I'm going to be honest with you, it don't matter which way you run because he's everywhere. Just run and just cry out to God. Run to God. And he talks about running from evil. Run from evil. Run from evil. And then he says, your body will glow with health. How does that sound to you? Is that okay if your body begins to glow with health? As we run to God and we we, we run from evil, and it says, and your body will glow with health. A, A young and devoted church elder, he once claimed to have had a vision of Jesus. And his pastor decided to test his truthfulness. (laughs) And he ordered that the next time that he had a vision, that he should ask Jesus what, talking about the pastor, he said, I want you to ask him what your pastor, referring to, ask what my primary sin had been before I became a pastor. This is what the pastor Ask the deacon, you tell me next time. You ask him, and you come and tell me. So some months later, the elder returned, and the pastor asked if he had asked Christ the question, to which he affirmed that he had. And, and what did he say? The pastor asked a little, you know, apprehensively. What did he say? Christ said, and the leader Paused a moment. The elder, he, he, and Christ said, when I asked him about your sin, he said, I don't remember. Our Bible tells us that we'll confess our sins to God. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. God has this wonderful ability to forget what he forgives. Did you know that's true in the Bible? If I was to ask God, 
Well, what sin did you commit this past week or month? And if you've confessed your sins to God and you've developed a rich relationship with him, he's going to say, I, I forgot. He intentionally, deliberately forgot. God not only forgives us, but he also forgets our sins. I want to read it once again. I want you to see it. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, and that's when we acknowledge, I've, I've let you down, I've missed the mark. And we're acknowledging that God is there and that he does forgive sin. When we confess it to him, that's what we're acknowledging. But if we confess our sins to him, and when we confess our sins to him, it greatly strengthens our relationship. We're not trying to, well, I didn't do nothing wrong. We're not trying to hide it. We're just saying, yeah, I blew it, and I, I need your help. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from what? And what percentage is every? He cleanses you and you and you and you and you, and he cleanses you from every sin, every 100%. God has forgot it on purpose. Deliberately, you know? He doesn't remember our sin, but, but he remembers his people. He says he'll never ever leave you and he'll never forget about you, but he forgets our sin. And the Bible tells us that he'll cast our sins into the deepest sea of forgetfulness. And it's kind of nice. I, I like the idea of imagining that God puts up a no fishing sign there, you know? So if you got somebody in your life who's going fishing for your sin to expose it, God says, no fishing. Uh, how deep is the deepest part of the ocean? Does anybody know? It's unknown. Can you give me a guesstimate? I read somewhere, somewhere between five, six, seven, no, no further than nine miles. Is anybody can hold your breath how long to go down and dig up somebody else's sin? When God forgets, forgives, he forgets, and he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. Uh, listen to what it says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. It says, but God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone. With this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. Question. And just answer this to yourself. Do you know for sure, guaranteed 100%, do you know if you're his? Does God, does he genuinely consider you his? Because the scripture here tells us the Lord knows those who are his. He knows you. And he will never forget you. But he will forget all your sin when you've confessed it. To him, that's just what he tells us here. And then it goes on to say, and those who claim they belong to the Lord must turn away from all wickedness. Is that too much to ask? I belong to God. We need to turn away from wickedness. We don't just say, yeah, God forgives, so we can just do anything we want, and it don't really matter. No, those who really belong to him must, and, and that's a powerful word, must turn away from all wickedness. Now, 
If I claim to belong to Susan, who is up here sleeping, was you sleeping? Her eyes were closed. She's in deep meditation. She did hike a mountain this morning, and we did have a service last night, and she did go bed late, and then we did get up around 4-something this morning. So if you want to take a nap after I ask you this question, you can. (laughs) But if I claim to belong to Susan, does it sound logical that I must turn away from all other women? You all agree with that concept? Absolutely. And if I claim to belong to Jesus, I may must turn away from all idolatry, the worshiping other material things or pursuing evil things and wicked things. I, I must turn away from all those things, you know. It's a choice that we make to get closer and have this rich relationship with God. It's, it's vital. It's, it's, it's important, you know. Now, truth of it is, I struggled a lot more with sin. I'm talking about Pastor Ron. I struggled a lot more with sin and wickedness when I watched TV. That's why we've not owned a TV in many, many years. Got rid of it because I struggled more with sin. Because on a TV... They don't say, hey, Pastor Ron, we're going to send this into your house. They just, boom, blindside you and put all kinds of things on the TV or on the Internet. Is that right? So I would never have chosen to have that flash in front of my eyes or I would never have chosen to listen to that in my ears. I never would. Lots of things that comes into our home, it, it feeds lustful thoughts, does it not? It feeds, that was a pretty weak, uh-huh. It feeds lustful thoughts. It, it feeds greed and covetousness. There's a whole lot. We're pretty content and happy until we have something comes into our life. And if you really want to live, you got to buy one of these, you know. Oh, honey, we need one of these, you know. We're no longer content anymore. So we need to understand this, you know. Psalms 100. And one verse two says, I want to understand the path to integrity. This is to honor. I I wonder if if there's a man or a woman here who's watching online who says, I want to understand the path because I want to follow it. I want to understand the path to integrity. I want to become a man. I want to become a woman of integrity, a woman or a man of, of honor. He says, I want to understand the path to integrity. When will will you come to me? I will live in my own home. And it don't mean that you have to own it. You might rent it or you might live in a tent, you know. But, But wherever it is that you live, it says, I will live in my own home with integrity. Because, see, when we go to our own home, we're not in out in front of everybody, right? And if you can do things in your own home nobody knows about. And that's a place when we may not be as full of, his, of integrity as we would want to be. And, and we need to develop a rich relationship with God and become men and women 
of integrity, and it's not too late to make those choices, you know? He says in verse 3, he says, I will not put anything wicked in front of my eyes. And I will not put anything wicked in front of my eyes or the eyes of my family or in, in, in the eyes of my children. That's, if you want to be a man or woman of integrity and you want to develop a rich relationship with God, we can't just have immoral pictures flashing in front of our eyes and in front of, of our family because it will create more struggles. Papa God, we hear an emergency vehicle out there. Might be somebody that we know who's in need right now. We ask that you'd help them. And that you'd help this person responding right now. And give them wisdom to get the job done that he needs to get done and, and draw all these people to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So he says, verse 3, I will not put anything wicked in front of my eyes. I hate what unfaithful people do. I want no part of it. Do we hate what unfaithful people do? One person says yes, and that's an honest. Because we are entertained by unfaithful people. Most of the stories on television, most of the movies that we would want to go to were entertained because they're unfaithful to God. And they do all kinds of immoral things and talk very immoral and all. And they're not, there's not much integrity there, but we're entertained. We don't do it ourselves, but we're entertained by their lack of integrity and their lack of faithfulness. And he says right here, I will not put anything wicked in front of my eyes. That is, if you want to develop a rich relationship with God, I will not put anything wicked in front of my eyes. And I hate what unfaithful people do. I don't hate the people, but I hate what they do. And I want no part of it. I will keep far away from, what does that say? I will keep far away from devious, deceitful, scheming, underhanded minds. I'm going to keep far away from these devious minds and I will have nothing to do with evil. Do we expose ourselves to evil and then we feed upon it? We talk about the, the immoral stories and the, the lack of integrity and we laugh and we joke because we're so entertained by their immorality. Well, we'd never do that, but we're entertained by it. Oh, there's plenty of things to read about and watch and study and partake of that is absolutely godly. But sometimes we make not the wisest choice. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Now, we already read verse 28. And Jesus says here, he says, my yoke, take my yoke upon you. That's just total surrender. And we go, okay. In order to, you know, yoke has got a place for for two ox, you know, you put this one on this ox, and you put this one on that ox, and usually the older ox teaches the younger how to plow and all that. And Jesus said, take my yoke, and in order to put the yoke on, well, we got to take all that heavy burden of sin. Well, he does it, really, he puts it off, and then he puts the, the yoke on, and it's like, wow, this thing kind of looked heavy, but, ooh, this is cool. I, I like this, and, and we didn't know it until later, but it's like, Jesus is carrying all the weight, you know, it's like, wow, this thing's real easy to do, you know? And uh, he says, take my yoke upon you. 
And this is very significant, this next little sentence. Let me teach you. Jesus is asking, let me, allow me to teach you how to develop a rich relationship with God. He's saying, and let me teach you. You got to spend time. We got to hang out with him in order to do this. And, and, and maybe we should do the WWJD. Well, what would Jesus do? Uh, what would Jesus watch? What would Jesus listen to? What would Jesus partake of? What would Jesus say? That's a good thing. If, if we want to be men and women of integrity, and that will absolutely help you develop a rich relationship with God if you want it. But I'm telling you, a rich relationship with God will bring you into the miraculous. It will bring you into a situation where the impossible becomes possible on a daily basis. And miraculous becomes a daily thing as well when you develop a rich relationship because Jesus says greater works you're going to do when you're yoked to me than I did when I was on the planet. That's what he tells us. Y'all read that verse before? Greater works you would do, Jesus said, than what I have done. So take my yoke upon you and let me teach you. Remember that. He's saying, let me teach you. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to turn. I, this is entertaining. Yeah, it stimulates things that ought not to be stimulated, but it's, it's entertaining. And, and Jesus said, I want to teach you something else. So I just want you to just go click. And I don't want you to watch that because it's going to create more struggles in your life than you want to have to deal with. He says, let me teach you. Because I'm humble and, and gentle. Jesus never forces us. But he says, let me. Let me teach you. Because I'm humble and I'm gentle. And, and you're going to find rest for your souls. You're going to find this spiritual rest where you're not just living in this constant war that's going on inside of you to do this and to wrestle with this and to do this, to watch this and listen to and you're just wrestling, you know. He says, I'm humble and I'm gentle and you'll find rest for your souls. Wow. I don't know if you remember Lot. You read about Lot in the Bible? Yes. The Bible says that Lot, in the King James, it says he tortured his righteous soul. Lot did. He tortured his righteous soul by the things that he saw and the things that he heard. The things that we watch and the things that we listen to, it said Lot did that and it tortured, tormented his righteous soul. And how can we develop a rich relationship with God when we are intentionally bringing things into our eyes and our ears that's torturing us. It's bringing the constant. We use all of our energy fighting against these thoughts and these temptations and confessing because we're giving in to these thoughts and temptations. How can we develop a rich relationship with God when we're choosing not to give up some things that is absolutely an opponent of holy and, and good and pure? Anyhow, Verse 30 says, for my yoke, it fits perfectly. 
Anybody here ever have some shoes that didn't fit perfectly? It was either too tight. Or they were too big and you're just, you know, just walking out of them and stumbling. You ever had some pants that was not fitting you right? It's like after that Thanksgiving meal and you just don't fit in them no more? Or a shirt? You ever have things that don't fit right? They're really not that fun to wear, are they? And it causes complications. Well, he says, Jesus says, for my yoke fits perfectly. You take my yoke upon you. That means you've got to take all the sin off. He'll actually do it if you ask him to. And you get the yoke, and then he's like yoked up here. And the way the older ox teaches the younger ox, is like, now we're going to go down and get a mouthful of grass. Let's do it together. Mm, mm, that's good. I'm teaching you which grasses to eat. Now we're going to get something to drink. Let's do it together. Mm. And Jesus is carrying the wave, and he's leading on the best path, and he's keeping you away. There are certain plants that are poisonous to certain animals. And he's teaching you what not to eat and what to eat. And Jesus says, for my yoke fits perfectly, and the burden I give you <laughs> is light because he takes the weight of the sin the heavy sin, and he removes it. And then he helps us as we go forward, you know. Life is pretty empty not being yoked to Jesus. It's pretty meaningless that we read about in Ecclesiastes. It's pretty pointless if we're not yoked to Jesus, you know. Uh, everything else that we're yoked to we try this, and we try that, and they advertise this, and this will really change our life for the better, but it's just so empty and so meaningless. Uh, Roland Allen, he tells about a veteran missionary who came up to him one day after he delivered his sermon, and the missionary introduced himself, and he said, I was a medical missionary for many years in India. And I served in a region where there was progressive blindness and people were born with healthy vision, but there was something in that area that caused people to lose their sight as they matured. But this missionary had developed a process which would cure progressive blindness. So people came to him and he performed his operation and they would leave realizing that they would have become blind. But now they were going to be able to see for the rest of their lives. <laughs> and he said that they never said thank you because that phrase was not in their dialect. Instead, they spoke a word that meant, I will tell your name. That was the way they said, thank you. I can see. And I'll always be able to see and take care of my family. I will tell your name. I wonder if, if we have feel that way, you know, as we're developing this rich relationship with God, I will tell your name. My sins are washed away and my guilt is gone. 
and, and God never brings up my past and he helps me and he answers my prayers and the impossible has now become possible and the miraculous is a daily thing now and I will tell your name. Opportunities and lots of times I hear people telling God's name every day when I go somewhere but it's not always a good way. So you and I should tell his name in reality. It's like, he's good. He's forgiven. He's given me another chance. And he's healed and he's extended and he has provided. And my name is written in the book of life. I will tell his name. I will tell his name. Jesus. I'm developing a rich relationship with him. And the time we're spending together, I'm going to tell his name. You'll want to have a relationship with him too. It's just the way it is. Wherever they went, they would tell the name of this missionary who had cured their blindness. They had received something so wonderful, they eagerly proclaimed it. Listen to what it says, and we'll be done here in a second. Psalms 100, verse 1, it says, Shout with joy. I'm going to tell his name. Shout with joy to the Lord, O earth. Worship. I'm going to tell his name. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with singing, with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. Tell his name, you know. He, he made us. And we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, You who were once so far away from God, we were once because we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. But Jesus has said, Come, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to take that heavy sin and put it away, and you're going to get yoked up to me, and I'm going to teach you the right paths and all, you know. Worship is a place where, a hungry, where we hunger after God. Where we forget about everything else and we focus on seeking God and what he wants. And we'll never be more aware of God's fullness than in worship. Tommy Tenney, a spirit-filled Christian author who's written books like The God Chasers and The God Catchers, tells this story. He believes that God spoke to him and said, You know, Tommy, your favorite worship service and my favorite worship services are not the same. You leave your services full and satisfied, but when you leave, I'm still hungry. (laughs) He writes, God whispered this to me during a life-changing Sunday morning service. It was a defining encounter that forever imprinted itself with permanent, indelible ink on the pages of my memory. He continues, there were tears in my eyes when I whispered to my wife, I don't think I've ever been this close to God before. I wish I knew then what I have discerned since, that God will leave our meetings full and satisfied only when we leave them feeling Hungrier, hungrier for him than when we first came. Oh, this has been fantastic, but I want to leave. I want more. 
I want this relationship with God to increase and to become better and more wonderful. There's so much more I want to say, but I can't. I can't squeeze it in. I want to, but I can't get it done. Oh, how many more pages I got? Well, I want to pray for you. Something very significant I'm going to pray for. Not like the other times when we prayed, although they were important. But I want to pray for you this morning for something very significant. So I want to pray. First off, we're just going to pray and reaffirm our faith in Christ. But then I want to pray for something that will change your life. So if we could bow our heads, and dear, if you'd join me up here. And if you know Jesus, would you reaffirm your faith in him right now? If you want to develop a richer relationship with God than you've ever had before. And if you're not sure if you're right with God or not, would you declare your faith? Would you join me right now? Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me. That's why you sent your son Jesus. That's why you sent your son Jesus. And I believe that Jesus died. And I believe that Jesus gave died. his life. Gave his life. To wash my sins away. To wash my sins away. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And is knocking at the door of my heart. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I open wide that door. And I welcome Jesus inside. And I welcome Jesus inside. As my Savior. As my Savior. As my Lord. As my Lord. And one that I can have a close relationship with. And one that I can have a close relationship with. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.